Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now on today's episode, we have got on an economist, author, and former um, assistant to President Trump, and this is the one and only Peter Navarro. Welcome to the show. Zuby, my buddy. Good to be with you. No doubt. So I've done a brief intro there, Peter, but for people who may not be familiar with who you are, please tell them a little bit about you. Well, well, first of all, I'm the author of this new book called In Trump Time. The subtitle is uh, A Journal of America's Plague Year. For the literati, that's a little homage to Defoe's book about the plague in London. Um, I am one of only three senior White House officials uh, that was with President Donald Trump from the 2016 campaign, uh, actually to the end of it. The In Trump Time book is, is literally based on a journal uh, that I kept on a daily basis uh, beginning in early 2017, uh, basically uh, to record the history I was going to be a, a small or large part of, but also to hold a bunch of people accountable. The, the book itself is both a book of revelations about how what happened in the Trump administration is actually starkly different from what was portrayed in the corporate media. Uh, but it's also a book of, of indictments um, of, of people like Anthony Fauci, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and some of the uh, the people actually within the Trump administration who, uh, through their disloyalty to the president, uh, wind up uh, wound up killing people. And behind me, just just for your uh, your viewers here. Uh, this is what I call the house that Tony Fauci built. It's the uh, Wuhan uh, China Bioweapons Lab where uh, the uh, the pandemic started with uh, with Fauci's money and help. And uh, if you want to talk about that, that's one of the things we can dive into at some point. Absolutely. So how did you first get involved in the Trump administration? How did that come to happen? It, that goes back a ways. You know, one of the first book I wrote, I, I, I wrote a trilogy on China based on uh, my observations as an economist that our economy was deteriorating after China joined the World Trade Organization in 2001. I noticed a, a sharp downshift in our economy and I began studying China. And in, in that first book, uh, interestingly, Zubi, I actually predicted China would cause a global viral pandemic that would kill millions. Just, just put that as a footnote in there. But here's the point. Um, in 2011, um, Donald Trump uh, was asked by some smart-ass reporter um, at the LA Times uh, what, what was the books he had read on China. It's smart-ass because they were trying to catch him in a Sarah Palin moment. They'd go, well, I read them all. 
and he proceeded with some precision, right, to list like 10 books in order or preference by title and author. And I happen to be number six on uh, on the, what would be the president's favorite uh, list of China books. And I began corresponding with him through his executive assistant, Rona Graff. He would write me little notes in the margin, this, that, and the other thing. So when, uh, when the campaign rolled around and I saw he was running, um, uh, for me, I understood uh, better than most that he was one of the few people in America that, that understood the importance of blue collar manufacturing, of bringing our jobs home from the sweatshops of Asia. And I told him at that point, whatever I could do, uh, I'd be happy to help him. So uh, it wasn't long before I was uh, was working on the campaign, helping with some of the speeches, and eventually wound up at uh, Trump Tower in the war room uh, as his top economic and trade advisor. And then um, as soon as when he got elected, it was it was natural for me to roll uh, roll into the White House with him. Mm. What was it like working with President Trump? Because as you know, he's a very polarizing figure. I know everybody knows people on both sides of this. But what was it like as someone who worked alongside him for many years? Well, I, I wish people knew him like I do. I mean, the first thing uh, that I always noticed um, was was well, I guess what you'd call a, the, the the commoner's touch, where uh, he was always so respectful to ordinary working people. Uh, I'd see that the interactions uh, in in so many different ways. Yeah, uh, you know, he'd be very sharp with the Wall Street tycoons that would come in and rip them a new one, but but never with with normal working people. Uh, the second thing uh, is he's he's funny. I mean, sitting in the Oval Office with uh with the trade team that we we do regularly um it's you know funny charming but but here's i think the most important thing i always saw him as playing like four-dimensional chess it's like uh, a lot of perception um, of the administration was was chaos from the outside but but it was always a a strategic kind of chaos that he would create to advance a goal that he would see and i'll give you an example zuby it's like um, when he ran for office, and this is all in the In Trump Time book, I talked about the seven deadly sins of China's economic aggression, stuff like stealing our intellectual property and killing people with fentanyl. It's like, like he he understood all of that, and he what he wanted to do to defend ourselves was slap tariffs on them. But when we first got there, that was that was controversial. I I, I thought it's like go sudden sudden zen, just do it. Um, but his his attitude was, well, we're going to give the Chinese a, a shot at maybe make making amends here. Right. So what happened over a period of like a year and a half, it's like like every time we, we, we let them try to make amends, they'd screw us. And that basically allowed us to begin putting tariffs on gradually, even as public opinion swung sharply in our favor. And so that was the kind of, I mean, that, that wouldn't have occurred to me. And I, I'm kind of like a straight ahead kind of guy. It's like, hey, they're screwing us, slap the tariffs on. His was like, eh, we'll do what's called the dragon, what I call in the, in the In Trump Time book, the dragon in a pot strategy, which was to do it do it slowly and, and so we can like boil them alive before they realized it because we knew they'd screw us. I hear that. And your book, you talk a lot about what happened with the ongoing pandemic situation. So what did that look like as an insider from early on? 
Yeah, let me let me start with um, with chapter one of uh, in Trump time. I call it the the uh, the red wedding chapter in homage uh, to Game of Thrones. Um, I, you know, I uh, as I told you earlier, I had written a book and was well aware of China's potential to cause a pandemic. And it's January 15, twenty twenty. I'm seeing the the cable traffic uh, on what's happening in Wuhan. I'm watching the crematory on satellite images where they're burning bodies over time. And and I'm sitting in this in the East Wing with the president. And he's on stage with these Chinese diplomats signing what I what I call the the skinny trade deal, um, a pale shadow of what we really wanted. Um, but I'm sitting there like, Zuby, I'm in a cold sweat. I don't sweat a lot. But that day I was in a cold sweat uh, thinking a, a number of things. It's like, what do these Chinese communists know about the virus that they're not telling us? Uh, mm-hmm. Could they be infected? And if so, why you know, why did they shake my hand last night at dinner? And what are they doing sitting so close to the president? Uh, but mostly as, as like visions of like Chernobyl and Pearl Harbor and the Twin Towers are going through my head. I'm thinking, could this be a bioweapon that China has, has, has unleashed upon America to take down the only president that has stood up to them? And then, you know, that's like January 15th. And then fast forward a mere two weeks in chapter two, I'm in the situation room doing doing hand to hand combat with Fauci. Who's, who's telling everybody in the room not to impose a travel ban on China. He's, he's not taking the virus seriously. He's the health guy. I'm the economist. I'm taking it seriously. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, it's like, and I actually said this to him. It's like, you, re- you really want to bring 20,000 Chinese nationals in a day, many from Wuhan lit up like a Christmas tree with virus. Is that your position? And Zuby, I knew right then that that guy was going to be be trouble or that he that he thought he was smarter than he was and he wound up uh, doing tremendous damage and and just let me walk you through this this is this I call this the the, the wing this is the the wing that of the fauci wing of the house that fauci built here's what 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 we knew at the end of January we knew that the virus came from Wuhan right that it popped up within a few hundred yards of this lab. So right off the bat, it should tell you it's not from nature, it's from the lab. We knew, we didn't know, but Fauci knew that he had actually funded this lab research with these so-called gain-of-function experiments, which can turn harmless bat viruses into human killers. Fauci knew that. He wasn't telling us. And he'd already been told by a prominent scientist that the virus itself was genetically engineered. Here's my point, Zuby. You asked me kind of kind of what it was like in the early days. What Fauci should have done then, and it was a huge lie of omission, he should have come clean. He should have said, hey, you know what, Mr. President, this thing might actually be a, 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 a possibly weaponized virus from this lab. And I'll tell you, Zuby, if, if, if I had known that, if the boss had known that, if the task force had known that, we would have had a completely different strategy that would likely have saved millions of lives worldwide. But but he didn't do that. And then from there, in the Trump time book, I go into like talking about how I went, I went from the, the trade and economic advisor for three years to effectively the quartermaster in the war against the virus, because I was the guy. Uh, who in February began making sure we all had all the PPE we needed. Uh, I, I, I wrote some significant memos about moving along the vaccine and the therapeutics. And, it, you know, it was quite a sleigh ride for me. Um, uh, but, um, 
it needed to be done. And um, I was one of the few people in the White House, the president, me and security advisor Robert O'Brien were really the only three people in the White House who, who were taking the pandemic seriously early on. Mm. And what is it that gave you that insight to be able to to do that? Because if I'm remembering back to that time frame, that's when, I mean, I know people were seeing various videos coming out of China, yeah. but the World the World Health Organization was also saying that there's no human to human transmission. Yep. Yep. There was the, you know, a little bit of talk about it maybe yeah. coming from a lab, but the prevailing theory was that this came from a bat or a pangolin or yep. something like that. Um, so what was the info that you had there? The um, I, I think it was my my deep knowledge uh, of of China and the Chinese Communist Party, based on the trilogy of books that I had written prior to coming to the White House. Remember the coming China Wars two thousand six. There's a whole chapter in there about how uh, how China has has become effectively a, a laboratory for the for the creation of toxic uh, viruses and fungus and all manner of diseases. So, so for, for that, that's kind of the baseline. And then the second book, Death by China, subtle title there, um, I, I, I got to understand just how devious uh, these people uh, in the Chinese Communist Party are and how much they, they really do want to take down America. And then the third book, The, the Crouching Tiger, uh, is, is about the, uh, the Chinese military, right? And, 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 and the use of things like the hypersonic vehicles, but also bioweapons. So all of that, um, that plus me sitting there, right, mm. in, 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 in the East Wing, knowing uh, that the Wuhan crematoria are burning overtime. I mean, there was no question in my mind at the end of January that that thing came from the Wuhan lab. Uh, and that we had a pandemic on our hands. And and look, the, the, the World Health Organization uh, was not credible. I mean, I've written extensively about how Tedros, the guy who ran it, um, is in hock to the Chinese Communist Party through his Ethiopian connection. So we weren't going to get the truth out of them. Fauci himself had a vested interest in, in lying by omission about the, uh, the uh, lab origins uh, of the virus. And Zubi, the one thing that, that really was, was so disappointing, you know, I'd sit there in the Oval Office with the president and he'd sit behind the Resolute desk and he'd have Fauci there. He'd have Azar, the Secretary of Health and Human Services. He'd have Han from the FDA. He'd have Redfield from the CDC. And he'd look at him and he'd say, all right, what do we got and what do we do? Right. And these mm. were the people, Zuby, who who were in government and were supposed to have prepared for the possibility of a pandemic. And when they asked him, when President Trump asked them that question, they had nothing. They had nothing. And it, it, they should have kept their mouth shut in public. But instead, even though they had nothing to give the president, they went out and worked to undermine him, uh, particularly Fauci, because. I mean, look, what is he? The top economic uh, health advisor for Biden. OK. Uh, OK. What does that tell you? OK. OK. Fifth column. He was working for Biden uh, and the Democrats all along. And, and there's a reason why he's, he's the highest paid bureaucrat in D.C. and one of the longest serving ones. He knows how to how to play the game. Well, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. So what are some things that, of course, uh, I'm sure some of the listeners are going to want to check the book out, but what are some things in the book that you can reveal on this podcast, which you think will 
surprise people? What are some things that are truly uh, things that just aren't out there, but people should know? Well, I think the depth of the evilness of Tony Fauci, I mean, he literally belongs in a jail cell. Uh, I think uh, the the um, the underlying truth about how prepared uh, we were uh, to fight the pandemic early on uh, contrasted against the kind of the lost February narrative and how we were caught back on our heels. I completely dispel that myth based on actual memos that I wrote and actions that we took. I mean, think about it. I write a memo on February 9th that says we can get a vaccine done by October or November. And guess what? We got a vaccine done by November. I mean, that Mm -hmm. doesn't happen by accident. And by the way, Fauci said it would take two years. So I think that's going to be... I think that's going to be an important uh, uh, revelation. And then uh, everything that's about uh, the election integrity, um, I make the very strong case uh, that this election um, was indeed stolen in the battleground states uh, in a thousand different ways and that we need to get to the bottom of that. Okay. So in terms of the way that the pandemic situation was handled, if you could go back in time, what would you have suggested be done differently in the USA? Well, the, mo- the most important thing was the big lie of omission. I mean, again, I, I go to the t- house that Fauci built. Please understand, as everybody watching and listening to this, Tony Fauci knew as early as late January 2020 that this virus was likely a genetically engineered bioweapon that was going to cause a pandemic. He knew that. And he, if he had told us that, we would have been able to, to, to take – extraordinarily different measures uh, to control that. So there's, there's blood um, on his hands. I think uh, uh, people um, need to hold uh, China, communist China, responsible. I might calculate in the In Trump Time book, um, $20 trillion at a minimum of a bill, a year's worth of GDP that we've lost already, and we're still counting. Uh, mm-hmm. to this virus. It's completely disrupted and dismantled large sections uh, of our economy. And I think, look, um, uh, it's a book of revelations, but it's also a book of indictments. There, there are a lot of people that I work shoulder to shoulder with that really let the president down, whether it was uh, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, or Kudlow, National Economic Council Director, virus deniers and, and people who constantly disobeyed the president, Mulvaney, feckless chief of staff. Um, I'm trying to write a book of truth and, and basically uh, have a situation where where I speak truth to power. I like to say the book is uh, whiskey, no, no chaser, a big truth to power. And the epilogue of the book basically sets forth a way forward uh, in a world which I regard now as very dangerous, both economically and militarily. Mm. So in terms of the response itself, um, what do you think should have been done differently or could have been with, with that information? Well, uh, the, the original sin of the pandemic was Fauci's lie of omission. What we, what we would and could have done was put uh, the, the, the wrath of God and pressure on the communist Chinese to disclose uh, the, the exact genome of the virus and know exactly what we were fighting against. That would have helped us get to a more effective uh, vaccine quicker. It would have, uh, it w- we would have been able to avoid some of the measures we took in the fog of war. 
uh, and we would have been able to held, hold them accountable. So, you know, in the woulda, shoulda, coulda, that to me was was the original sin. It was the original sin um, of Tony Fauci. Uh, I think um, uh, with respect to the vaccine and therapeutics, there's a chapter, chapter seven. It's the longest chapter in the book. It's homage to Perry Mason. It's a, it's the scurrilous case of hydroxy hysteria. If, you know, Zuby, if I say hydroxychloroquine to you, there's going to be a lot of people listening who think that that's a dangerous drug that doesn't work, uh, that can kill people. And, and it's just the opposite. That was a myth created by Fauci and CNN, Zucker, and the, and the left-wing media simply because President Trump said it might work. And the game afoot was to blame China, blame Trump rather than China, with Fauci the one basically being the saint to take on the, the, the devil Trump. But, but hydroxychloroquine, if I could wave one magic wand, um, I, would, I, would, I would have a policy where therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin would have been allowed uh, to be used in off-label use to people in the first seven days of their infection, what we call early treatment use. Now, unfortunately, um, long after the, the time it was most needed, still needed now, but we know from hundreds of thousands of data points that if you take hydroxychloroquine, which by the way, pregnant women are recommended to take if they go into malaria zones, yeah, how dangerous is that? If you take it, Zuby, in the first seven days of your infection, the science the data tells us that you will have more moderate symptoms, number one, a less time in the hospital if you wind up there, less chance you'll have to go on a ventilator, and largely it takes death off the table. And so mm. if you look at the more than 600,000 Americans uh, that, that have died from this uh, Fauci Communist Chinese Party virus, uh, I deeply, deeply have sorrow about the fact that I was unable to, to win the hydroxy hysteria wars because there would be over 300,000 Americans alive today um, if, if those therapeutics had been allowed by the FDA and Fauci to be uh, readily dispensed by personal physicians. It's, it's a true tragedy. Mm. Yeah, it's been a big shame the way that the whole thing got politicized very, very early and uh, beyond any sort of bioweapon potential, it was clearly used also as a political weapon, specifically in the USA in terms of the response. Yes, yes, indeed. And then hydroxy is used worldwide uh, with, with great effect. Uh, a lot of the frontline workers, nurses and, and doctors uh, take hydroxy as a prophylactic. And, you know, I had, you know, one of the interesting things, Zuby, is like, as the Defense Production Act policy coordinator, I had at my fingertips, 64 million tablets of hydroxy that I could dispense it, it, through FEMA in a matter of hours anywhere in the country. And, and because of the hydroxy hysteria, I could not do that. And that was enough to treat 4 million Americans and save 50,000 lives alone. And um, again, it was one of the one of the one of the great sorrows that I, that I wasn't able to beat the uh, the, the Fauci wing uh, of the administration and, and Jeff Zucker. Those people have blood on their hands. John Berman at CNN's New Day, uh, Cheryl Stolberg at the New York Times. Uh, they did everything they could to discredit 
uh, a therapeutic. I mean, we've lost over 600,000 American lives. Hydroxychloroquine hasn't killed anybody. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, it's absurd what happened. And, and I have deep regret about, about not being able to, uh, to win that battle. I hear that. Peter, I know you've got to jump onto another interview, so I want to be respectful of your time. But if people want to find out more about you or the book, what's the best, what's the best place for them to go? Well, I, I, I would ask everybody to go right right now to Amazon, buy the book, get some for your friends, particularly the ones who are never Trumpers. Uh, it's, a, it's an important historical document that really is in the definitive insider's account. You can also go to uh, my website, peternavarro.com, where there's a lot of information about the book and uh, Real P. Navarro on both Getter and Twitter uh, is, is a, a source where I have daily uh, updates. But Zuby, I can't thank you enough uh, for, uh, for your time today. And the next time we, we book this, if you want me back, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go as long as you want. Uh, but the book came out yesterday and, and uh, the, uh, it's a busy time here and I'm, I'm trying to do my best. That's all good, Peter. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, it's great talking to you, man. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.